0: Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, The Promise, the album, Disc One. Hello everyone, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's the only podcast on the internet where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order, or at least we used to. Now we're talking about the records, and we're doing it in chronological order the right way. I'm J.B. Clark. That was a mouthful. I'm joined as always by Rob Carmack. Rob, how you doing? JB, for every podcast
1: episode we release, there are 20 that we just never release.
0: <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> that. If we were Bruce Springsteen making podcast episodes and not albums, that's what we would. That's what we'd be doing. Because we're, you know, we're I talking mean, about. It is a
0: little bit. It is a little bit true that like. We do. There's a lot of just like uh, chatter about what we're about the uh, Bruce Springsteen that we have on mics recorded. <laughs> uh, that or right before we hit record. <laughs> yeah, usually it's right before we hit record.
1: If yeah. we record it, I usually try and keep it in if it, if it's useful if it's relevant. That's a good point. That's a good point. But if it's not, you know, if it ends up being uh, not useful or not relevant or just you and me talking about our our medications, then, uh, well that can stay on the cutting room floor (laughs) on
0: the pharmacies floor. Yeah. Love it. Whenever you're, uh, you're, uh, hanging out, you know, and then a buddy looks at you and goes, I've got a serious question. (laughs) Do you drink on this medicine or this? Like, yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) I heard uh, I, I heard John Mulaney and Pete Holmes on one of their podcasts uh, talking about how like they were backstage at a show one one night and one of them was like man I'm just feeling like really antsy and, and the other one offered the other one like one offered the other one a Xanax and he was like you realize like 30 years ago comics would be backstage like George Carlin and Sam Kinison they'd be like passing around like blow. And like, and acid, but now comics today are like handing, like, are are trading antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. That's the difference between comedy now and comedy in the seventies.
0: Beta blocker. You want a beta blocker? Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, that's funny.
1: So uh, Um, yeah, man.
0: Talking the promise.
1: Yeah, we're talking about uh, yeah, disc one
0: because the promise is massive. Well, I mean, I guess it's good to check in. We were checking. Everybody good? You good? Did you take care of the thing? You good? You good? Who are your guys? <laughs> I feel um, happy for him in an right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm too invested. I was gonna say, say right how now. do you
1: always know where he is? We're talking yeah. about Mark Marin. I right don't
0: always way. know where he is.
1: Yes, you do. This you is the just first time I've ever known in where Taos he right now.
0: What? This is. What? That's the first time I've ever known that. Well, wh- where else is he ever? His house in L.A., I guess. You guess, or you know. He's been there for the last uh, eight months, pretty much, just taking care of a sick cat. I mean, know, I guess that's true.
1: Like, we've all, like, I guess we all know where we all, we all are know all the time. where Mark
0: Mirren is right now. <laughs> We're
1: all checked in.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, we all know where Mark Maron is right yeah, now. You're very, yeah. You're he very geodagged his last Instagram post. He is in a I like behind to... a house
1: in Taos. I like to imagine that before you jump on Skype, the first, the last thing you do before you you call
0: me is check to see where Mark Marin is. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever known where Mark Marin was like out loud on this podcast.
1: I don't know that that's true. I'm sure we can go back and check the tape. I think at least one one other time you've been able to like very accurately pinpoint his most recent location.
0: Maybe, maybe.
1: Who knows? Who knows? There's no way to know. You'd have to listen to thousands of hours of tape. <laughs> No one's going to do that.
0: If I ever met Mark Maron, we would just stare at each other in a room for a while. And then he'd be like, okay, is that what you wanted? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, I, I guess so now. <laughs> like the Brad Pitt episode where he was uh, – he started freaking out about uh, uh, Mike Crackle. And Brad Pitt was like, ah, this is what I came here for. <laughs> Classic Mark Maron freakout. <laughs>
1: I love what a fan of Mark Maron Brad Pitt was. That was yeah. that, that was delightful. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, here's a question. Do you think Mark Marin is a fan of The Promise, disc one? <laughs> That's up uh, for a transition.
0: exactly what he would say to you about it. He'd be like, I don't know, man. Uh, I listen to Darkness, right? That's the Darkness, right? Darkness. Yeah, that one's a good one. It's a good one, right? It's dark. It deals with some shit. But, uh, you know, The Promise. I don't know. He's trying to do a different thing. He's doing a op thing. I don't know. I listen to it. You know, I got it. I spin it. I don't kind of wax.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) Podcast over. We got
0: it. I think we got it. (laughs) I
1: don't know, man. Oh, man. So anyway, get it. (laughs) So the promise is this interesting sort of creation of Bruce's because it's not fully an album because it was it was released and it was packaged, released and promoted as a box set of outtakes from the Darkness on the Edge of Town sessions from the 19 from 1977, 1978. But if you sit down and listen to it, it fully functions like a double album, you know, so it, it sort of exists in this weird it's almost like a um like a Schrodinger's cat uh, of a, of a of a thing. you know what I mean? like it, it can be both an album and a box set, and neither an album nor a box set. You know what I'm saying? Schrodinger's
0: cat is the one that could be alive or dead or upside down or just you know not there yeah
1: right? that the, theoretically, the cat is both alive and dead at the same time.
0: Because it's been in the box, right? But for how long? I mean, that's I don't know. You got Ash here It's that's the thing about stranger that I always really got him on air is that he never
1: specified like, like the the health it situation like, of the cat. Makes some cat pretty good guesses.
0: Conditions. Yeah, I mean, like if if I was aware of the cat before we put it in the box, I could make some pretty good, you know,
1: when was it's last guests. physical?
0: And you. Here's a real good question. If you thump the box and it doesn't make any sound or move, you know, can I thump the box? I don't know. Uh, Because that's a real good way to tell.
1: So The Promise was released on November the 16th, (laughs) 2010. So this this box set is ten years. This box set slash double album is ten years old this year, and I remember getting this for Christmas. This this was a thing that I received for Christmas from my wife, and it was wonderful. And I still have the, the packaging, and it's got like the simulated notebook. And like I said, it it fully feels like a box set when it's handed to you, but then when you put it in, it it again it feels like it feels like you can listen to this pretty much uninterrupted as if it were an album. So, and no. I, I realize, like, this is an ongoing debate among Bruce Springsteen fans. And some, some people like to, to put it in the album category. Some people like to put it in the box set category. We can continue discussing that as we go. Now, 2010, because we got to do our due diligence, J- JB, we have to acknowledge that this did not we come do. out of a vacuum. Here are some albums that came out in 2010. You're going you're gonna to know a lot of these albums. We're, we're, in, we're fully in your adulthood now.
0: Okay. Okay. You
1: ready? I'm ready. 2010. The Suburbs by Arcade Fire.
0: Oh, best, yes, best I got Arcade such a Fire weird album. Specific experience with that record. Yeah, in my mind, I think so too. Uh, high Violet. I, I saw the most of their newer stuff live and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you enjoy um, it as much so, as you enjoyed The Suburbs? So yeah, then they did a bunch of songs from The Suburbs that I really love, and I went nuts. So. Yeah. Uh, high yeah. Violet. And then I went to the porter potty right there next to the stage that they were playing at. And inside the Porter Party, they were playing like uh, Christian contemporary music over the speakers, That's and it was terrible because <laughs> I was trying to listen to this incredible band that was playing right outside the door. <laughs>
1: That's a real letdown. That's what that is. All right. So High Violet yeah. by the National. I've noticed, okay. by the way, the National and, the, and Arcade Fire are on almost an identical release schedule. Have you ever noticed that? that? Almost every single year. I feel like the
0: National has more records, though.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the National's been around longer. But I feel like every year that Arcade Fire ever puts out <laughs> anything, the National also puts something out.
0: Yeah. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Could be wrong. Uh, Contra. Uh, that was before I was into the National. Oh, okay. Contra.
1: Contra by Vampire Who's Weekend.
0: Who's that? Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't listen to that one. I like the new one and the one before Contra. Yeah. Uh,
1: Brothers by the Black Keys. We have got Arch Android uh, by Janelle Mooney. I'm so Monet. unimpressed
0: by the Black Keys.
1: <laughs> and uh, that's the thing. I I I feel the same way, and I feel bad because I have a lot of friends who really love the Black Keys, and I have, I, I they're one of those bands that I'm like, I get it. I think it's just not for me. Like there's some there's something going on
0: here that's just not it's not reaching me. You know, and and every time I listen to them, I'm just like, uh, and I like some of the side projects they do and i'm i'm definitely on the record uh the, the one of them who's married to um michelle branch michelle branch like that was incredible what they did yeah he, he's uh, a good record, record producer that guy but uh yeah i just you know anytime someone's like you want to listen to to you know i can't even never remember their name what are their what is their name the black keys yeah uh, one of them also the black keys dan hourback and yeah dan hourback I uh, I'm just like, no, I don't really i i will i'd love to listen to the guys that they got it from <laughs> uh they're good, yeah all the guys that they stole all that shit from, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, nothing against them i'm I'm fine with them in fact i i'm I kind of wish I liked them more. I, I'm always looking for more music to, to like. I just, for, for whatever reason, the Black Keys just... And, and it's not that I, I find them distasteful or anything like that. I just don't care. Like, I, I, I have no re- I have no reaction at all when I listen to the Black Keys. None. Um, all right. Then you got Arch Android by Janelle Monae. You got Teflon Don by Rick Ross. Speak Now by Taylor Swift. Inner Speaker by Tame Impala. Pink Friday by Nicki Minaj. Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. Come Around Sundown by Kings of Leon, another band that I do not care about. Um, Rebirth They by... put out that
0: one record That I was like Where did this come from?
1: Yeah I mean uh, But th- This uh... is this. I, I think this was The beginning of me Beginning to Get really worried That I was losing My ability to Enjoy new music Because like Kings yeah. of Leon
0: And the Black Keys I, I just had no reaction To it all And so even though I think I... in 2010 There were a lot of bands That put out records That, that uh, bands that I liked That put out records That I didn't like too mm. uh, Let's see Or liked less Yeah uh, all right. Then we got Rebirth
1: by Lil Wayne, The Lady Killer by CeeLo Green, Up From Below by Edward Sharp and The Magnet at Zeros. I really like that album. Um, I actually can't
0: get it.
1: Done. I mean, it's weird. I mean, they're definitely a cult, but they, they make some good <laughs> music. Let's see. Uh, American Slang by Gaslight Anthem. Letting Go by Jennifer Knapp. Uh, former guest of this podcast, Jennifer Knapp yeah. re- releases Letting Go in 2010, which w- came after or a... end of the show. That, yeah. That was her... That, that was her return that was her comeback that was after being gone for like i think eight years she went without recording anything that was yeah um so that was like her big comeback album um i don't know if she would define it as a comeback album or just like a reentry into the i don't know but um because it was so different but um i really really like that album anyway um That's then good. Broken Bells, their self-titled album. Broken Bells, of course, being James Mercer from The Shins and Danger Mouse,
0: their uh, collaborative side project. Is is that like? Uh, oh no, I'm thinking of Sleigh Bells. Yeah, that's a different band. Is, is Sleigh Bells is the band that's like really hype cheerleader music. Yes, that sounds like Ratatats playing guitar.
1: Yeah, they also had an album come out this year in
0: 2010. Yeah, that yeah. was a great record i remember that i've never heard this before yeah um i also remember being surprised that annie clark didn't do it <laughs> you think so i don't like it
1: was a little too i don't, I don't know like bright for annie clark for st vincent you know like i feel like st vincent's a little more like
0: stabby guitar you know yeah but i don't know it's all like it's all polished you know everything she does is like polished with a wax rag yeah Uh,
1: All right, well then uh, you have this is a big one. "Sign No More" by Mumford and Sons. That was their debut album.
0: So that record uh, spoke to me a little bit at first, and then I got very tired of it. (laughs) That I mean, I mean, that was a like it or not,
1: like that that album was a really big deal. Like Mumford and Sons is now one of like the biggest touring bands in the or back when bands were touring, but uh, one of the biggest touring bands in the world, and uh, that was that was the thing that that was the beginning for them. I've heard a Mumford and Son show though is one of the
0: one of the best live shows you can go to.
1: I've seen them a couple of times. They're very good. They're they're uh, Caroline loves Mumford and Son. They're they're one of her favorite bands, and we've we've seen them twice, and they're very good. They, I mean, I mean, you, you can't deny their musicianship. If you don't like their music, then you know that's that's fine. But um, if if you do like their music, the the show is very good. Um oh, so, yeah, I need I need to go see them. So then, uh, Infinite Arms by Band of Horses, Kaleidoscope mm. Park. Oh yeah, um, Kaleidoscope Heart by Sarah Bareilles. That's also a good record. Here's one for you, Invented by Jimmy Eat World.
0: Uh yeah, that was a good one. That that's that starts the
1: downslope though. That was they had like a guest vocalist on that one, I think. Right? Yeah. There's like Doesn't a female. Does really
0: like the last Jimmy Eat World record?
1: I don't remember how she feels about like that. You'd have to ask her. I don't, I don't remember. I honestly don't even know their discography well enough to tell you what the last one was.
0: I think the Chase This Light was sort of like where it started to go down. I mean, now, go see them live still because holy cow. Yeah, we saw one them. one of the tightest live shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we saw them. Actually, one of the most recent live shows I
1: saw. They like We saw them open for Third Eye Blind last summer, and they were really good.
0: Nice. Uh, let's see. I learned yeah, the hard dude, way. The, there was this guy the cops were trying to come get, and, and the guy was trying to ignore that the cops were trying to come get him out of the crowd. And uh, Jim Atkins just – Stomped his foot and like strummed down, you know, and the whole band quit. He was just like, bam, and looks in the microphone and goes, Hey, man, you got to go. We're not starting again until you go. And as soon as the guy sort of like shrugged his shoulders and turned to the cops, they just picked right back up, like on the next syllable. And I was just, wow, (laughs) these guys have played a couple shots together. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a video of uh, Eddie Vedder
1: doing something very similar at a at a Pearl Jam show. There's a a guy in the crowd who's I guess harassing a woman, and he just like stops the song, and is like, "Hey, leave her alone, get out of here." And like once once the conflict is resolved, they jump right back into the song. It's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then let's see. We have got "I Learned the Hard Way" by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. "Mojo" by Tom Petty and mm. the Heartbreakers. And then finally, the biggest selling album of 2010 is "Recovery" by Eminem. Ah. Wasn't that sort of a comeback? I guess so. I don't. I don't know. I don't follow Eminem well enough to know what the comeback is. You know?
0: Yeah. I never really liked Eminem that much. I can't say I really have either. I just like you know. Some people really do. Oh yeah. I mean, he's obviously, uh, biggest selling Rob Bell. in 2010.
1: <laughs> say what?
0: Rob Bell. That's his favorite
1: uh, live act. That's that's wild to me that Rob Bell likes Eminem as much as he does.
0: Um I think it started off as like a cool youth group pastor thing to do. Maybe. I don't know. And it became like everything he does in his life
1: deeply genuine. It's I've I've always been I mean, I realize like this is I I, I mean I feel weird about all the misogyny (laughs) in Eminem's music. You know what I mean? Like it seems, it is so overt. And so, and I realize like some of it is supposed to be tongue in cheek and it's, it's like supposed to be like confessional about his childhood or whatever. But there's, there there comes a point where it's like, this is, I don't like this. Like I, I don't, I don't feel good about, about these, uh, these stories he's telling. So anyway, that's just me though. Um, if if Rob Bell likes it, then, you know, more power to him, I guess. So anyway, um, so that that's that's 2010. So that is the that is the universe in which the promise came into existence. And of course, as we mentioned before, this is an outtakes. It's it's mostly comprised of songs that were considered and then eliminated during the Darkness on the Edge of Town sessions. But they were again the reason it sort of feels like an album is because it feels like this is a little bit more intentionally compiled. But also because the story here is Bruce in his head was gonna do like a throwback doo wop old school like like r- like rock album it, it, as the follow-up album to Born to Run. But the, like the course, cool
0: band that you book for the sock hop. Huh?
1: Yeah. And, and of course, then Bruce ends up in a lawsuit with his former manager, Michael Pell, and he can't record and release new music for a long period of time. And so a lot of the stuff that he had originally thought was going to make up the tone of the new album sort of begin to shift. And by the time we get to darkness on the age of town, he's kind of a different guy. Like, he's, like, a lot of, uh, like, he, he's, he's, he, he's kind of been through the ringer a bit and so now now he's like darting on the edge of town is a much different record than a lot of the material that we see here and so what we see here it's almost like this alternate dimension in which bruce in 1977 releases a a much more lighthearted, doo-woppy like dance record almost you know and um and and this this double album is sort of like if in that in that universe, if that had happened, this is what it would have looked like. In a lot of ways, I think you could probably pare it down a little bit, but but for the most part, like this is probably the material that would have made up that that album, you know. Yeah, which is why it's easy to sort of think about this as an album anyway. So uh, yeah, so the promise, the basic facts here: the promise uh, was was promoted not as an official album, but rather as a box set filled with outtakes from the Darkness and the Edge of Town sessions. Um, it is, uh, I already I already said, the, it's mostly comprised of songs from those sessions. A, a lot of the songs have been updated, though, with new vocals and additional instrumentation. We'll talk about that as we go. Uh, this is the final appearance of Clarence Clemens on a new Bruce Springsteen recording. Save My Love, which mm. is on next week's episode, or you know, on disc two, was completely re-recorded from top to bottom with the full E Street Band, including Clarence. And so Clarence dies in June of 2011, which means... If you like "Save My Love," is is the last thing that that Clarence recorded with Bruce, which makes it just a little bit more special. So, um, critically, this box set was was met with mostly pretty positive reviews, and uh, I, th- I think for a box set, it sold pretty well. It, there was a, a documentary that accompanied it called "The Promise" and "The Making of Darkness on the Ninja of Town," and, and which is why we're doing rock docs in our our bonus episode today. And, uh, and so, like, if we're looking for a cohesive theme, because that kind of is one of the dominant things we're, we're looking for here, the, the theme, again, it's sort of like it's, it's an alternate universe where Bruce releases a late 70s album of doo-wop and love songs. Um, it's kind of less cohesive, like a less cohesive version of The River, but without all the coming-of-age dimensions to it, just like a more straightforward, like, down-the-middle, like, love song doo-wop record. So that's – so the theme isn't really, like, an idea. The theme is, is more of a tone, I think, um, and so, which, again, would have been a, a really different thing for Bruce up to this point. And uh, that is, so those are the basic facts. I don't know. Did I miss anything here, JB? Not that I can think of. No, you covered it. All right. What are your initial thoughts? Like, before we go into this, like, what, what do we need to know about how you feel, like, what you hear? What, like, do you seek this out very much? Like, how, how much time would you say you spend listening to The Promise, just in general?
0: Um, not a ton, but yeah. probably more than other box sets. Okay, because it's got sort of a cool concept—the mm. you know the duop throwback concept. Yeah, I I think I think how you
1: feel about this album has a lot to do with how you receive it. It's it, because like we said before, it's not constructed tightly enough to be a full blown Bruce Springsteen album. Like you, it, especially from this era. You know, we're talking about the era of Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Later on, the River, in Nebraska. Born in the USA, like these are tightly constructed albums, and this is a lot looser than that. So I imagine if this had been a 1970 album, we wouldn't be talking about 20 songs; we'd be talking about like 10 or 11, probably, you know. And and so it's it is a little looser than than a, like a full-blown Bruce Springsteen album, but it, it but it is cohesive enough. To talk about it in that way, and and it feels like this is an album, like I said, from an alternate alternate dimension in which Michael Pell never sues Bruce Springsteen, and uh, they're able to make a pretty quick follow up to Born to Run. Um, and so, but and of course we could have a whole other conversation about in in the alternate dimension, does the river ever get made? Like, does he feel like he like scratched that itch here, and does he go on to make other albums and not the river? I don't know. So.
0: Anyway, who knows? I could be that's wrong good, about that. That's a good thought exercise, yeah.
1: It is. Because, well, and I mean, Sherry Darling is one of the the outtakes from this, and obviously, Sherry Darling isn't included here because it is on the river. But theoretically, Sherry Darling could have ended up on that alternate version of this record. So, um, so yeah, I it, it's it's a fun thing to think about that we have. There's no way to know the answer to that question. You know, would we have ever gotten Darkness in the Edge of Town, and would we have ever gotten uh, the River? Had Bruce been given the opportunity to just put this album out as quickly as possible in 77 you know yeah so anyway i, I think those are the initial thoughts uh do you have anything else you want to mention before we get into the tracks
0: let's get into the tracks baby let's talk about music
1: all right well then i'm gonna i'm gonna have to turn this one over to you on on track one because we're talking about racing track one is racing in the streets parentheses 78
2: got a 30 to 4 And the
1: reason I say I'm going to have to turn this over to you is because this is an alternate version of a song that already exists, and I feel like the things that make it different and interesting are musical, and that is not my wheelhouse. So That's not your wheelhouse, yeah. Um, Anyway, so, go ahead. Yeah, all right. So I wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, maybe we should set it up a little bit. Racing in the Street is one of the most beloved Bruce Springsteen songs from Darkness on the Edge of Town, yes. and this is just a different version of this song. And this to me is kind of what shakes this out of being a full like an album album because it opens it opens with a different version of of one of Bruce's most beloved songs. Like it'd be easier to sort of like set this aside as like a full blown album and not just as a box set if this weren't on here, I feel like this, this continues to like, at, like in the front door, remind you that this is an outtakes box set, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: anyway, it is what it is. So I like the yeah. harmonica in the beginning, um, it's the piano is not wildly different. It's just recorded different, you know? And then instead of just kind of being a, a light band, like in the, uh, like in the album version, the band's a little bit bigger, you know, you got some horns, you got, you know, the harmonica coming back in the, you know, the rest of the song so yeah and the piano uh, is different is there a the piano intro solo? say what yeah it sound a whole lot different but it is it is definitely not the same is there a violin solo i think so yeah i think there is a violin solo towards the end and definitely not in the yeah yeah yet roy bitten
1: has talked about how like they've played this version of it a couple of times live i guess just as a novelty and roy says it's deeply disorienting for Bruce to say that he wants to do this one instead of the other one. Cause like his, I guess the muscle memory on racing in the streets is so deeply embedded for him that when he, and Roy's like, Oh God. <laughs> like yeah, I can't imagine. yeah. What is the piano part to the other version of
0: racing in the street? And how like, well, just, it's not like you're changing it completely to, it's like a very similar, completely different version.
1: If you, but if you're Bruce and like you're queuing Roy in as a different, like and you specifically want him to do this instead of the other thing, you're going to notice the difference you know
0: yeah oh yeah bruce is gonna know
1: yeah and roy's gonna know and so like that's that's very stressful i think for him yeah
0: that does not sound fun no come on can't we just do the real one (laughs) that's what
1: i would say like what like there's a perfectly good version of racing in the street that already the people already love like why do we need
0: roy what's my name yeah the boss Place him.
1: Um. Yeah, Toby Scott, who's Bruce's studio engineer, says that there are at least six different musically distinct versions of this song somewhere in the archives. In fact, Max Weinberg claims that there's a version of the song that sounds like a Beach Boys song, but that version has never been leaked. So there's no official confirmation on that. But Max swears that there's a, a Beach Boys sounding version of this song somewhere out there. I'd love to hear that. That, w- that would break my brain, maybe. But
0: Yeah, I'm fine. I think I'm fine with you, what we got. You don't need it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like uh, why
1: why do you, why is this here? Like why why is this the first track on this box set double album?
0: I don't know. We gave it we gave it five stars each. It's a good, very expressive version. I, in hindsight, I think the, the the violin solo is just very weird. Yeah, I'm um, not saying it's bad.
1: I'm saying like why why do we need two versions of "Racing in the Street?
0: I think you just put maybe like the violin. Yeah. It's a good performance, maybe you didn't want to lose it, you know? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know uh uh-huh. <laughs> yeah uh I don't know man but uh you, wanna, you wanna go on track two yeah let's talk about track two gotta get that feeling yeah hey. yeah uh and i love it but it's got some it's got some heavier guitars but the snare dude max is just you know just like very happy days man yeah it is it is great
1: it's very like phil specter feeling big horns wall of sound you know, like it, it, it's yeah. very full sounding, and they, Bruce re-recorded the vocals in 2010 for this. So you're, you're you're hearing older Bruce, not younger Bruce, on this.
0: You could definitely see like a a, a really good band got behind bandstands on a variety show doing the song like this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a good song. Uh, I like it. I like. It. yeah. This is it's a. Uh, yeah very enjoyable
1: to me this is what this album like if we're if we're talking about like the the alternate version doo-wop album to me this is this is kind of the center of the bullseye on the whole thing you know what i mean like to me if if i were gonna and this is a thought exercise i I do a lot which is like if if you were gonna try and make the promise into a one disc album that was thematically consistent like what would you do and like to me, I would obviously you got to get rid of racing in the street at the at the top because we already have that on another album.
0: <laughs> got to lose that.
1: Well, you got I mean because we, it already exists on a different album. You don't need it. It's it's totally yeah. superfluous here. And so, um, and but I, I think got to get that feeling could have been a really good track one. You know I think oh, for I think, sure you, yeah I think you shave off track one and, been, and make got to get that feeling your first track.
0: I've been trying to figure out like what is the connective tissue, but to me the sort of doo-wop tries on this record remind me of, of sort of a similar sound to what he's tried to chase in sort of his um, Western atmospheric Hollywood cowboy pursuits. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is about this record, but there's something in here that kind of has that, uh, I don't know, that longing of the of the West, of the manifest destiny. <laughs> Would you say there's something in the air? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, there's something
1: in there. <laughs> I I mean yeah, there there is definitely some connective tissue to some of these songs and the way Western Stars is made, which is funny cuz like yeah. like these these things should exist in two totally different, you know, categories, but but there is like you can totally yeah, there there is sonically, there are, there are some similarities w- between this and some of yeah. the stuff
0: you hear on Western Stars. Yeah. But it's not like the same connective tissue connects Western stars with devils and dust, but the, I don't think this is related to devils and dust. So no, it, there's something about the shimmery yeah. shimmery shininess of, of this and Western stars. but Well, the horns. It's, it's, but they're all three really nostalgic. Oh, well, no, this is nostalgic. I don't think devils and dust is nostalgic, but I think Western stars and this is nostalgic. Almost like you're outside looking in. Oh, which okay. is the next track. Track three, outside looking in. It's all over
2: now, the we have
0: Good. This is fun. It's not special. Yeah, I mean, it's a total Buddy Holly um, throwback. It's yeah, it fully got those nice like uh, tinny background vocals. Yeah, um, yeah, it's good. The drumming's great. Yeah, uh, a floor top. Max
1: has said, yeah, the, the, the drum part is fully just like Peggy Sue. Like they're just doing Peggy Sue here. In fact, one, one of the things that Bruce was feeling self-conscious about here was that he, he was worried that he was going to be too overt with his influences, that he was just going to wear his influences too much on his sleeve. So some of the material got cut early, even before they decided to go the Darkness on the Edge of Town route with it. Um, and this was one of the ones that got cut kind of early, not because – it stopped meshing with the theme, but because it was too similar to like Bruce was worried that people were going to hear it and be like, he's just ripping off buddy Holly, which is funny because, um, on born to run the previous album, you got, she's the one, which is not fade away basically, which is also a yes. song that was done by buddy Holly. So it's like, is he just trying to just do like one buddy Holly song per recording session? Cause that's fine.
0: I mean, he likes buddy Holly. That's I like good. buddy Holly. Yeah. I'm not complaining. Yeah. The sax is very buddy Holly on the song. Like just. I don't think Buddy Holly was like, using a lot of sax, but it's just got, I don't know. It's got no, it's just,
1: yeah, it's, it's mostly the drum part, the dum da da dum da dum da dum da Um It is good, though. I do like, that's, like, again, if, if you shave off Racing in the Street, right. this is track two after Gotta Get That Feeling. This is, I mean, we're off to a really good start.
0: I think the thing on the sax is kind of how it bounces. That's what makes me think of it. bum 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 You know, like yeah. the, it could be like a um melody break. On a Buddy Holly record. Any other thoughts on outside looking in? No, not really. I mean, that
1: my, my notes are pretty sparse on this one, just because like the theme isn't yeah. that like. M- there's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of like the message here. It's not. We're not. Re- <laughs> this is not Devils and Dust. You know what I mean? Like we're. Yeah. yeah. It, it really the the sound is the most important thing to this, and um, that I just don't have a lot to say about it. Um, these are good well, songs
0: though. Let's talk someday we'll be together then. Voice comes call. Shimmering, she gives you up on this one.
1: Yeah, this sounds like a lot of the of some of the female groups out of Motown. Uh, this is like the Shangri-Las, and the Ronettes. You know, like I can yeah, totally hear like
0: very much. Sounds like the Ronettes. three ladies I like swaying together. The Ronettes, yeah, so much. How often do you listen to the Ronettes? Not enough, mm. but I, I, I do. Everyone like should listen to them once a month. Yeah, um, I uh, like the song a lot. Oh dude the background vocals are so good. You can just feel like the the um like Tinsel Streamers and the um you know covering the doorways. You know whatever the theme is. There's a disco ball, under Everybody's, the sea, yeah. a night in Hollywood, a night in Paris. Yeah, and there's just like this is where their first this is the first slow song, you know. And a bunch of kids with braces are like hey you want to dance yeah <laughs> yeah this is this they're great. standing like a full arms length apart from each other
1: yeah it's a great eighth grade dance
0: type of song oh. for sure yeah um yeah man my it... first slow dance was the hotel california and i was like perfect and then i was like this song's forever and then i was like this song's about death <laughs> <laughs> sixth
1: grade Hey, you know, it's just it's just about the way it makes you feel. You know, don't, don't don't think too hard about it, sixth graders. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is. I mean, again, if we're if we're going starting with "Got to Get That Feeling," you got "Got to Get That Feeling." Outside looking in, someday we'll be together. This is a good. Like we're, we're kind of on a roll at this point. Like these are three songs that all should probably be on an album together. You know.
0: Yeah, how do you feel about One Way Street? Okay, so track five, One Way Street.
2: Where if the sun should fall from the sky tomorrow, if the rain brings a tear to your eye, I would share your sorrow. If you must go, then take your leave. I, love
1: uh, I don't love. Not This no, is, this is not great. Um. So we're not on a roll anymore? No. Well, the the roll has officially... Uh, the, we were on a roll, and then we made a, a wrong turn down a one-way street. And that that is now where we find ourselves. So Bruce reportedly spent exactly one day on this song in 1977. And they didn't touch it again until they started working on this box set. And that's when they went back and overdubbed the vocals and the horns. And I think maybe he if you really wanted to to put this out maybe like 2 days would have been useful you know what i mean like i don't know it i and i say that it's it's, a, it's fine i guess as as a thing that it is it's just this is i'm 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 going to go out on a limb and say this is probably my least favorite song on disc 1 what i don't know mm-hmm. how do you feel about it
0: i yeah it it's statistically my least favorite statistically song on disc <laughs> one. Yeah, i gave it a 1 star uh nothing else got that there were a couple of twos
1: <clears throat> I mean, but, it kind
0: of—it uh, kind it of sounds like up. Sylvester Stallone. I, have, I really, this is hilarious. I, like, it cracked me up in my notes from when we originally did it. It sounds like he, if Sylvester Stallone sang a ballad, <laughs> yeah. What, what yeah. do you think that would sound like, JB? Like this. Bring the shadow of your mind. That's perfect. Rage has come to <laughs> Yeah, like
1: it's like it's like he's right here. Where'd yeah. J B go? S- Sylvester Stallone, put J B back on the horn.
0: <laughs> oh it's <laughs> just <This is> me. <laughs> I can't do a good uh Sylvester Stallone. I mean that was but perfect. I think I I appreciate you.
1: It was absolutely perfect.
0: I am terrible at impressions.
1: <laughs> no man. Don't don't sell yourself short. You gotta do this a lot more. So yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, I feel like because we like I said, we were on a roll. We had gotta get that feeling outside looking in. Someday we'll be together. And then one way street, I feel like just fully interrupts the flow. You know, and without it, if if you just lift this out of here and you go straight into because of the night, you got yourself mm-hmm. you are on a hot street. Take me now, baby, here's I am make close to China,
2: understand. Desires hunger is a fire I breathe love is a banquet on which we feel come on now try and understand the way I feel when I'm in your hands take my hand come on the cover
0: the inner part is name, and I know y'all all know this but like it's so good. <laughs> I
1: mean, this is, this is one of the best songs Bruce Springsteen ever wrote. This is, it's possibly... I want to
0: just go on tour with him to be the guy that goes... Ooh, right at the beginning. <laughs> to do what? Uh, there's just some, some like, some moaning whale sound in the background. Oh. At the very beginning of the song. It's just like... In the back of the mix. <laughs> Is that Patty Smith? Do you think? What is that? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. You know, Patty Smith has a co-write credit on this. Uh, on, on cool. This, on this specific version, I guess. I, I, I guess because like when they went back into the studio and and did it like to, and put it down for this box set, they used so much of the stuff that she added to it that they, I guess, he felt like he had to give her a co-write credit because originally cool. she was not a co-write on it.
0: Right, because he wrote it.
1: Yeah, he wrote it and, and gave it to, it to her. But now, I guess you know, however many years later, it's just sort of become her song, and she's added so many of her own touches to it. That now, if he's gonna like do a studio recording of it, he's just gonna he's gonna have to put her name on it. So, um, so yeah, I, I this is possibly Bruce's most famous outtake. I'm 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 glad it finally found a home on on a studio album. I'm glad we have this. But I mean, there's nothing there's nothing in the world that beats the live version of this. You know.
0: Right, I only like this the to, the recorded version of this as a way to remember the live version. Yeah, it's it's like a soundtrack. And I the only like version. the live version of this so much because Nils Lofgren plays guitar like a madman. Yes. Uh, he looks literally like the Mad Hatter with his top hat and his <laughs> his, his like scarves hanging off of his belt and his guitar. He looks like the Mad Hatter meets Joe Barry.
1: (laughs) I think that's the that's exactly the aesthetic he's going for.
0: It is. I love Mills Softkin so much. He's
1: great, man. Uh, Yeah. So because the night this
0: is whimsical and impish. (laughs) uh,
1: This song was. I mean, I I feel like if if there was such a thing as a no brainer for this box set, I would think this has to be it. You know, like this is again famously a song that he or he wrote and sampled and did a demo recording of for this album. And then uh, John Landa was like, this is going to be a huge hit, which made Bruce go, well, I'll just give it to Betty Smith. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, and Bruce and his justification for it was like, he didn't want the whole album to become like, eclipsed by a runaway single. So he chose right. he chose the integrity and the structure of the album over the ability to have a number one single, which I fully admire him as an artist for that, but at the same time I'm like dang man, like that that was this this was going to be your number one single. This is still to this day Patty Smith's most famous song.
0: I don't think it would have made the record better. I don't think it would have made it really worse, but it wouldn't have made it better.
1: No, I think that's right. And I think yeah, Bruce's instincts are right that the the cohesive theme of the album would have been disrupted
0: by the song. But the song is so I think so the song damn, like, can fit into the theme, but it's not obviously the theme if that makes sense.
1: No, I mean well cuz the the theme is about displacement, you know, and because the night is about is not about displacement. It's it's like almost the opposite of displacement. You know, it's about like people who find each other. And um and yeah, it it would have been it Thematic and I mean like you said, like you could have made it work. It's not like any rock critics were not gonna be out there being like, I don't know, that song is really good. It just disrupts the theme. Like nobody would have cared except for Bruce, but he cared enough to leave it off the album. Yeah. And, you know? Um Yeah. And and so now I'm I'm glad it exists in this form. I'm glad it it's found a home. But if I'm gonna go if I'm gonna listen to Because of the Night, it's almost exclusively always just gonna be the like one of the live versions. Cause this song is just yeah, it is fire in um in live form
0: absolutely not to be confused with the song fire no which is also which we'll podcast. talk about next week next week yes so yeah and then we got rocks out of the street another very strong uh song and great performance turn,
2: on the radio, turn off the-
0: I love the almost Dire Straitsy, like unaffected guitar, but well, no, not Dire Straitsy. What's the left ear guitar sound like? Maybe it's almost the Eagles. Ugh. Well, it's it's. But I like. It here.
1: It's very reminiscent of like early British Invasion pop songs. You know, it's got. Yeah, the- Beatles. I'm thinking Beatles. Beatles. It sounds like the the Beatles. Zombies, Herman's Hermits. Like it's got a lot of that kind of mixed up in there. Maybe the Animals. Maybe the animals. Yes, for sure. I mean, well, I, yeah, we and we all know that Bruce loves the animals. So, like yeah, you can definitely. Yeah, how much hear of
0: this record is still for the animals?
1: It was, yeah, yeah. it was a uh, Badlands. Yeah, it's a great song. I love it. Yeah, wrong side of the street.
0: Very, very good guitar solo.
1: And and to me, this like this is yet another reason why you don't need One Way Street because One Way Street and Wrong Side of the Street have like they're kind of working with similar metaphors, and Wrong Side of the Street is just so much better. Like One Way Street just sort of, I th- I just feel like One Way Street is in the way you know yeah no absolutely and yeah and and wrong side of the street is is really good it's it, it, it moves at a steady clip it's a good it it, it does sort of again it, it's it stays inside that theme of like throwback love song pop song duop like 60s basically 60s sensibilities is is kind of what he's reaching for here and and this song does it i feel like this song does it really well
0: yeah and the vocal melody is like challenging and interesting um you know, it's, like, really interesting for, you know, just kind of a straightforward pop rock song.
1: Yeah, it is. I, there's, there's so many songs on this box set that I feel like I would really enjoy seeing him do live.
0: Oh, yeah. I this would love be- to see this guitar solo played live just because it's got so much feel, you know? Yeah. It's not hard. It's a pretty straightforward guitar solo, but it just has so much feel and, like, touch. Yeah. I know those are such esoteric words, but, like... <laughs> Well, it's earnest it's, it's,
1: yeah You know, and that's, like, Bruce Bruce is one of the few artists who can, like, always feels Like, earnesty always feels, like, the right, like, mode for him You know, like, yeah. c- cynicism just doesn't work for Bruce Like it, like it works for no, a lot of doesn't. other artists and, and this song feels earnest um, And then we got track eight, which is The Brokenhearted Well,
2: darling oh, won't you come I promised pretty darling, I didn't know what I was saying. And now I'm praying
1: that you won't say it's over. This is Bruce doing Roy Orbison.
0: And as much as I like Bruce and Roy Orbison, it's, a, it's another sort of low moment of this side, uh, side of the record.
1: I... I, literally, I have nothing to say about this song. I, I, it, it leaves no impression on me at all. I don't care about it. It's it's fine. I mean, th- this is one of those songs, I mean, honest to God, if he had like called up Roy Orbison and been like, hey, would you like this song? And if Roy Orbison had recorded it and we were sitting here talking about, hey, have you heard that Roy Orbison song that Bruce Springsteen wrote for him? We'd be like, that's a pretty good song. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I don't care about it as a Bruce Springsteen song.
0: i I don't remember it
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i yeah exactly like it leaves no i'm I'm
0: listening to it right now i don't remember it
1: like you have no memory of the song (laughs) that's not good you know that expression in
0: one ear and out the other yeah i don't know how it works because it's going in both ears right now but i don't remember it you're forgetting it as you're listening to it actively yeah yeah actively forgetting it um um the next song i like a lot though
1: yeah. So, well I mean, well first of all, do you feel like the broken hearted, like even though it's not our favorite, do you feel like it it d- is it within the theme? Like like the royal like because if it's so reminiscent of Roy Orbison, does it not sort of by definition also kind of stay inside that theme of like mid mid to late 60s like pop like rock songs?
0: I think it's too slow. You know, we've already had our slow song and it was still a little more upbeat. The slow song being someday we'll be together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think you're right. I, I I think I think the broken hearted kind of drags it down. If if we had to curate this whole box set into or this if if we had to like pare it down from twenty songs to ten songs, I think I think there's no question. I think the broken hearted's got to go. They sound
0: way too similar too. Yeah, yeah, they do. All right. Well, then yeah. you were about Some of to say, The guitar work is the same. Um, just different tempo. Yeah, Ronnie was great. Yeah, track nine is Rendezvous. Sort of a team um, performance, as opposed to the last song, which is just a poor performance. <laughs> well, this is another one, also that previously we only had
1: live cuts of from from tracks, and this is this, this has been a Bruce Springsteen crowd favorite for for a long time, and that this that it finally ended up somewhere is is great. I mean, yeah. you, imagine how good this album would have been, <laughs> JV. Are you like, a, a, I mean, you're telling me we there could have been again in an alternate universe. In 1977, Bruce Springsteen could have released an album that had "Because the Night," "Rendezvous," "Gotta Get That Feeling," "Someday We'll Be Together." Like that's a great album. You know what I mean? Outside looking in. Outside looking in. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I can't. I can't believe that album never existed. All the material yeah. that was written, it existed.
0: There's some stuff we're gonna talk about, you know, on the next track. Well. Yes. Yes. That, that also great right. for sure. I, I love was Rendezvous. Just making sure there wasn't. It wasn't just uh, actual s- a- outtakes from the actual, re- like, different versions of other songs. Um, yeah, Rendezvous is great. Yeah. Ooh, Rendezvous. bomb, 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 And then that guitar part, <laughs> boom, 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 which is exactly how it sounds. So you don't even have to listen to it now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so cool, man.
1: Yeah, this, this I think, in my... <laughs> In, again, in that world, I think this would have been the second sing. I think because The Night is the lead single and Rendezvous is the follow up single. And Bruce, I think, yeah. probably would have gotten a lot of radio play off of those two songs.
0: Uh, speaking of. We used to have this guitar player in our band yep. who would be like, hey, I want to play that. Uh, go back and practice that Ninu Ninu part. <laughs> and we would all know exactly what he was talking about. Even though he wasn't even like singing notes, he was just like. <laughs> Can we go back to the ninu ni part? <laughs> Man, musicians crack me up. The
1: like the Yeah I, I was just I was just yesterday speaking of rock docs, I was just watching um, a documentary about the making of Octung Baby by U2, and they're telling stories. Oh, yeah. Uh the, the the name of the documentary is From the Sky Down. It's really good. But um and they're telling stories about how they would like stand in their rehearsal space and they could always tell that Edge was getting upset because of how loudly he was tuning his guitar. Yep. And and like, and Larry used to like scream at him to shut up. And and Edge would just like instead of doing anything, Edge would just like go, and just like hit hit the strings as hard as he could, like on a on a foul tuning. And that was basically his way of like flipping Larry off, <laughs> telling him to shut his mouth. So like, yeah, man, that. all that like musicians crack me up. That you could just you people can just stand in a room and be like, yeah, the Nino Nini part. Oh sure,
0: yeah, I know what you mean. Oh dude, that same uh, song. I remember uh, somebody kept saying, Oh, you play, uh, we play four bars of that. And then somebody else who was super, you know, sort of traditionally trained was like, No, we play that cycle, uh, or no, we play that riff um, four times. That riff is three bars. So it's actually 12 bars. And the other guy's like, Oh, I'm so confused now. And he goes, <laughs> It's four bars of that. And he goes, No, 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 no. It's for, Riffs. We play the riff four times, and the guitar player's like, "Okay, so a riff has three bars in it." And we're like, "Yes," and then he goes, "Okay," and so that's the whole chorus. And we're like, "No, no, no, that's just that riff." And then the whole cycle we do twice, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Okay," and then we played it perfectly after that, even though it none of that is music. <laughs> well, it's math. Like, it, none of what I just said is music, except for the word bar.
1: I think people and are surprised at how much math goes into too. being a musician.
0: Oh, yeah, I have to, yeah, so I'm not, like, a math person, but in music, you have to count. You have to, like, count, you have to be able to fit weird, odd numbers, in, or you have to be able to fit odd numbers into even numbers, sort of, is how I think about um, counting. It's a lot of fractions.
1: Yeah, a lot of fractions.
0: Uh, all right, well, then, let's, let's get to the final track, which is Candy's
1: Boy.
2: Alright,
1: candy so Candy's Boy is an early incarnation of obviously the song Candy's Room that did end up on Darkness on the Edge of Town. So uh thematically and lyrically there's some similarities, but musically it's obviously completely different. This is like it's completely reworked from like this to what it would ultimately become, which is like this really short, propulsive, you know, like race through time that the song becomes, and this is much more subdued
0: i love candy's room candy's room is one of my all-time favorite bruce spring songs yes and this is not one of my all-time favorite bruce spring- <laughs> also candy's room and candy's boy are are different like it's candy's room is a cool concept candy's boy feels weird you know yeah it does it feels like the reverse of kind of the stuff that we're always like a little girl you know or whatever
1: yeah and it, it is it is sort of um emasculating which i, I mean i guess the whole idea is meant to be that way it's the the idea that he's he's in love with a with someone who that we're we're to assume i think is a lady of the night and he's in love with her and he she's just like it's like the feeling is not mutual and um and so right like that that's that's sort of where we're at with it and so he's he's sort of like it just sort of reminds him of like the child like naivete that that is this character that he continues to be in love um with, with this woman who is um is is only showing him affection because uh, there's it, it is a economic exchange so yeah this is this is one of those songs that kind of not unlike the first track racing on the street 78 which is it kind of reminds you that this is an outtakes set and not a straight up album because it's so because it's called candy's boy and candy's room is such an iconic springsteen song from Darkness on the edge of town. Yeah. So it's it's just again one of those like there's a handful of songs here that it's like oh right th- these are outtakes, and I think if you want to treat this thing like an album, you, you sort of have to like set all those aside. So like racing the street seventy eight, Candy's boy, uh we'll get to come on, let's go tonight in our next episode. But like that's another one that is is similar enough to another song that ended up on the record that you just sort of have to be like, yeah, we, if we want this to, to stand on its own, we kind of have to get rid of that stuff. So candy's boy to me is I, I, I don't really respond that strongly to it because I already have a, a I already, like you said, like I already have a, a strong response to the thing that it evolved into, which is candy's room,
0: you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And it, they both though, remind me a little bit of, the Oedipus Rex song by the Doors. Yeah, I just I don't know where. <laughs> I thought you were gonna walk, say more the about the walk that. down the hallway. Yeah, the walk down the hallway. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the walk down the hallway yeah. is one of the similar, like the the common motifs that they have, they've got in both songs. Yeah. Um. I guess that's it. Yeah. Well, that was my bad. No, you're good, man. <laughs> Not your bad. You're good. So that was it. Yeah, I, that's the songs. We got we got through those pretty quick. Those are the songs. Those are the songs on disc one. So
0: here, great songs.
1: So here's, here's the question. If you're going to go when we have sort of been playing this game a little bit as we went, but if you're going to go back in time to ni- 1977, you're going to help Bruce retract this for an official album release. What do you tell him he needs to keep? What do you tell him he needs to lose? This is assuming we also will get darkness on the edge of town in 1978. Assuming we don't lose uh, like future material, that this is just going to be an additional album that gets, gets dropped in between Born to Run and Darkness on the Age of Town with no disruptions to Darkness. What what are you losing? What do you
0: uh, so I'm losing track one. Yeah, I don't love Got to Get That Feeling, but it's I I, I do. Uh you know, so uh, it's a good track one. It, it's a good proof of concept. I think it, it's a great proof of concept. I think that's a
1: good way to put it. It, it works for exactly what this is trying to be.
0: Yeah, uh, I lose One Way Street. Yes. I lose the brokenhearted, and I lose Candy's boy, and and I've got the makings of a stellar record. Yeah, you do. I mean, you're halfway there
1: already. And I mean, yeah, yeah obviously it's... you keep because of the night and rendezvous. I, I would like, like you said, I would also keep got to get that feeling and someday we'll be together, and lose the brokenhearted. Um,
0: yeah. Did I not say someone, someday we'll
1: be together? No, you did. I'm sorry. I, I'm, oh, I'm okay. going. I'm re- reading off mine. So like basically, cool. I'm saying like, just you, you sure and I, I are. You and I are in the same place with this, which is great. Yeah. We, I I think we would lose the same stuff and we would keep the same stuff. And you're right. Like that's, that is, we're halfway to a, like one of the great records of the late 1970s. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just a true tragedy that this, this album never just existed in its original context.
0: Yeah it is and we're i mean we we're, we're not done
1: no yeah we still got another half to talk about that'll be, that'll be interesting once we're able to bring in the other half and talk about like what like if if we have to like limit this to 10 to 12 songs like what does that look like cuz then at that point i
0: think you really got to start making some hard choices yeah you know we complain a lot about how we wish this had re- this record had existed but like it does and we're talking about it <laughs> that's true so i'm pumped I, I love a lot of these songs um yeah i it's it's the box set that i listen to the most for sure Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. I really love it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, both as like a complete piece and as like it has the songs I listen to the most individually, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing is it, this is like it, it's sort of going backwards and, and reminding us like why it is that we love songs like Because the Night and Rendezvous. Yeah. You know. Um, Yeah, man, it's a good uh, it's a good set. And I'm excited to, to talk about the next half of it with you in the next time. And until then, if you're one of our patrons, you can jump over to the bonus feed, and J.B. and I are going to list out our top five rock and roll documentaries in honor That's right. of The Promise, The Making of Darkness on the Age of Town, the documentary. Which is a good documentary. It is an excellent documentary. Um, I love that documentary.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I slaved over my my list, uh, and I found five that I've seen.
1: <laughs> As did I. I've been preparing for this list ever since quarantine started.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah. This is definitely one of your stronger suits and, and, and uh one of my more like pop culture um blind spots, but I'm excited to add a few to my list to get me going again.
1: I'm realizing so, rot docks are like one of my pop culture happy places. And uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll have lo- lots to talk about on the bonus. What feed.
0: about what about yacht rock docks?
1: Uh, yeah, yacht rot docks are I was trying to think of another word that rhymed with it. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. Dang it. Totally dropped the ball. I'm embarrassed. So yeah, that, that, that'll be our next week. Next week's bonus episode will be yacht, yacht rock yacht rock dogs. We'll just talk about Kenny G and Holland Oates. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening. And, uh, like we said, we can jump over to the bonus feed. If you're not a patron, you can join over at patreoncom forward slash Springsteen. And if you join at any level, right JB any level you can listen to our bonus any episodes level. yeah and uh yeah you can do that and be part of that discussion and uh everybody else you can find us back here on this feed hopefully next week we're we're trying to be as consistent as we can by getting the new episodes up every week with obviously the exceptions here and there uh but there are every once in a while situations beyond our control and I'm kind of amazed that we got one done this week, considering like my kids went back to school and everybody's got work schedules. And so
0: we, uh, I just started school. My yeah. kids. Yeah, it's been nuts. So hopefully uh, we'll- my kids actually went to Jackson today and my mother in law is here and I am I haven't seen my mother in law in like six months. Oh, wow. Eight months. And so, you know, and I have a one year old, <laughs> so that's insane. Well, it's so good that I'm the mother-in-law's very excited around. to see her hanging out. Yeah, she's going to be here for a while tell sue uh, i said hello. she's gonna be here until she's gonna ride this whole thing out with us if, if it's up to me is that right but yeah we're gonna well I, she's planning to be here for a couple weeks right now
1: and yeah, for the long haul very nice
0: i'm gonna convince her to stay because she's great i'm i don't get mother-in-law jokes my mother-in-law rules the first thing she ever said to me was that if i hurt her daughter's feelings she was gonna murder me and she means it and i was like that's dope i get it that's fine uh, don't, please, <laughs> but I'll do my best to not put you in that situation. <laughs> yeah, you, b- both of your uh, in-laws are rad. Yeah. Yeah, I do have red in-laws. Yeah, man. And they're right. both my my brand of weird, you know? <laughs> which is good. So, you need that. Yeah, I do need a certain amount of weird in my life. Indeed. We used to have this, we used to have this uh, mustache bash every year, which is a big fundraiser for the Autism Center here in town. And it was always just the weirdest sort of Like throwback Uh, everybody came as different mustaches throughout time you know like you had like strong men and you had uh, bearded ladies and you had like I don't know in the final year it was the circus the circus theme we quit doing it but because the guy who put it on moved but it was like this whole town came together to put on like one very weird night (laughs) you know (laughs) like our friend was a go-go dancer like in a cage at a thing and it was just like That's weird <laughs> But it's awesome you know you look You're do- doing it you're killing it in there uh, Are you hot are you tired of being in a cage <laughs> She was like no this is what I wanted to do tonight This is my costume <laughs> <laughs> So it's just like it's everybody Could be weird and weird is good So that's if you leave this week with anything It's okay to be weird let your freak flag Fly a little bit unless it, in, unless it Impinges on someone else's Freak, freak flag and in which case don't do that
1: and on that note, <laughs> we will Sorry We will see y'all next time when we talk about giving out more blessings. Make your freak flag fly. Make your freak flag fly and not mess with anybody else's freak flags. That's right. JB's kind of weird. All right. Thanks everybody what so much for listening. You're kinda of weird. Whatever kind of weird you want to be. And uh, yeah, we'll be back <laughs> we'll be back with you next week, hopefully, and we'll be talking about the Promise Disc two.